This episode, I wanted to add in a little pre-intro intro that I can edit out easily later when hopefully the need is no longer there. If you have spare respirators or dust masks, the right thing to do right now is to donate them to a local medical professional. If you have nitro gloves that are still sealed in the box or bag, the right thing to do right now is to donate them to people who really need them. Where woodworkers, dust sucks, don't get me wrong, but wrap a t-shirt around your face when you're sanding for the next month or so. Also, this is always the case, but right now, let's be super, super mindful of what we're doing in the shops and being as safe as we possibly can be. We don't need anybody going to the ER for a laceration right now. They've got bigger and better things to deal with. All right? So let's all put our super safe hats on and just kick it up a notch. So March of 2020, yeah. It's it's been real, right? In keeping with the social distancing that we at Fine Woodworking believe to be the best course of action right now, we are all working separately at home. And because of that, the podcast is going to change temporarily for a little while. Um, Jeff has been working tirelessly behind the scenes to figure out a, a good way for us to continue on. And we're getting there. Thankfully, we had this episode with David Yard recorded back in December. Um, so this episode, not much is going to change. The next episode, it's going to be different. We're not certain right now what that means. If you're listening via audio-only podcast player, you might not notice much of a change at all. If you watch on YouTube, yeah, we're not going to be in the same room and we might not have a video at all. We're not certain yet. We're figuring it out still. But rest assured, we are going to continue providing you with that woodworking content you know and love. And we're going to be trying to bring you even more because right now woodworking feels, well, sometimes it feels really unimportant, but sometimes it feels really important. So you should know that we're, we're going to be soldiering on and we're going to be posting more and more content and doing the best that we can to post it at the level you've come to expect. You should know that we've put more content in front of the paywall than ever before. I'll post links in the show notes directing you to a couple of video workshops that we've posted for free. And I'll probably be switching those out and every week or so posting more content uh, free to the general public. So yeah, everybody stay good, stay healthy, stay, stay distanced right now, okay? We'll get through it and we'll be better for it. All right? We'll have the show for you after a brief word from one of our sponsors. For more than 90 years, Woodcraft has been supplying woodworkers with quality tools, supplies, and advice. For the best in hand tools, power tools, and shop essentials, you can count on Woodcraft from start to finish. Check them out for woodworking classes, free demos, and project advice from knowledgeable, friendly staff. With 75 stores nationwide, you can find a store in your neighborhood or shop woodcraft.com for your favorite woodworking brands. Woodcraft, helping you make wood work since 1928. Hey, Mike. Hey, Ben. We're here with David DeYard. <laughs> Do you want to publicly tell everyone hey, about your, your finishing? 
on your finishing snafu. Sure. That um, you were just discussing at lunch. Might as well throw you right into the fire. Yeah, I was actually hoping we were going to do a smooth move because this was <laughs> right there. Super, super painfully fresh. And because it's one of those things where um, not only do I advise not doing exactly what I did, I actually wrote a book about telling you not to do exactly what I did. And well, there you go. Um, I just finished uh, teaching Wait, class. Wait, you wrote a book? I did. <laughs> <laughs> what month is this? Is this still pre-Christmas or are we? No, this will be post-New Year. Ah, dang. Never mind. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just made a little arts and crafts side chair I was teaching. And the, the chair I had was kind of a prototype. So I didn't pay as much attention to the grain on some of the parts as I should have. And namely, the the curved backrests um, of the chair, it was made out of eight-quarter stock. I didn't have any eight-quarter quarter sawn. So I said, oh, I'll just use plain sawn stock. It's going to look fine. And it didn't. I liked the chair all except for it just had this plain sawn grain going through the backrests. But sort of without the finish on it, and then especially after you sand it, where you can't really see the grain anyway, it's like, this is going to be okay. So I tried to fume it, and it really sort of enhanced the grain. <laughs> <laughs> and then um, I tinted some water locks with some asphaltum to tone it. Nope, that just accentuated the grain even more. And then I thought, well, let me go really dark with this. I think we just need to not see the grain at all. So I have a, a little can of asphaltum, otherwise known as tar, roofing tar, and I literally started to just slather the entire chair with roofing tar, thinking it's going to be a really classic, dark, dark and uh, arts and crafts finish, like original stickly furniture. Um, that didn't go well. So I basically got some turpentine out and wiped the entire thing down and realized everything I didn't like about every aspect of every finish I had tried had to do with the fact that the grain wasn't right. And it just goes back to a good finish. It starts in the lumberyard. It starts with your grain selection. If that breaks down, it just makes all your other efforts. It just compromises everything. And then it just makes a nightmare of something because you can't take something fundamentally not correct and just kind of take the stink off of it. You just can't. So um, I've threw a coat of water locks on the chair. I'm going to get it in my dining room. It's going to sit well. It's going to be fine. And it's going to be a reminder I need to get back out in my shop and make another chair with the grain in the right location. So, What does the yeah. Windsor chair maker say about <laughs> what, should, what, what would you have done? Paint it. <laughs> <laughs> Black. Yeah. Black over red. <laughs> uh you know what? Actually, huh? There, there is some sort of Macintosh elements to this chair. Macintosh being yeah. with Scottish Arts and Crafts movement maker with a lot of stuff painted black. Thank you, David. I really want to remember to put the Apple startup sound <laughs> right as you said. <laughs> well, the only trouble with a thin coat of milk, black milk paint is it's going to accentuate the grain. <sighs> yeah. Still screwed. New chair. Yeah. That's, you know, yeah but I was, only up close. You'll be fine from a distance. I was, <laughs> like everything I make. Talking to my wife about it last night. She goes, maybe, you know, just sleep on it. A lot of times you wake up the next day. It's just not going to look that bad. And so I came back out from the shop this morning, getting ready for work. How did it look? Yeah. 
same chair. <laughs> so, but there's a certain acceptance. It is what it is. And we can always make more stuff. And it was a prototype. Yeah. It, yeah. I, but I've made a prototype that in the first ukulele, I have always declared it was a prototype, yeah. but they're still heartbroken when it's yes. not what you want it to be. I get it. <sighs> All right. Should we answer some questions, David? Sounds good to me. All right. <clears throat> From Sasha, what are your thoughts on using cheap big box store pine for furniture? Not even select pine, i.e. six foot by six inch by three quarter inch boards for $6. I'm hesitant to blow $200 of lumber on something to learn when I could do it with $30 worth of pine. What are you thinking, Dave? Well, I think it goes, uh, what do you want to build? <laughs> if you're there for learning... That stuff's great. Yeah. You know, if you're looking for, you know, beautiful finished furnished as uh, the grain's not quite right. <laughs> and you're probably, Got a can of paint that, lying around. You yeah. know, can of paint lying around. That's that's fine. You know, especially if you're, you know, learning new techniques or learning stuff like that. Cheap is better. You know, it's, a lot of my prototypes are made out of whatever is on hand. They may be in gazillion different kinds of woods. Yeah. Grains everywhere. But, um, you know, if you're looking for overall learning stuff it's perfect yeah is is there anything to be said about the workability for or against pine is really challenging i mean think it's a softwood and especially if you're not getting super clear pine and you have some knots in there and stuff <laughs> that's pretty rough i think i think dave your your point is right on where you know yeah, get some cheap wood, and that way you don't have to be too precious about it, and you can just go have some fun making furniture without worrying about messing things up. On the other hand, um, there's no such thing as a bad wood, and I think it's – on one hand, it's like, well, I really want to make this out of, say, walnut, but I'm going to use knotty pine instead. Okay, so that's definitely compromising the piece you're making through choosing a wood, not the wood that you really want to make it with, but – Pine in and of itself, I think, is awesome. Straight grain stuff I really love. I love stuff with super tight pin knots. I'll even search through the common boards to find that. And one of the things that was an eye-opener for me was Seth Janofsky, who um, was at College of the Redwoods for a long time and does really, really beautiful furniture. He had this sort of uh, tonsu chest, and the sides were all knotty pine, these big old knots. But... And But it was very considered. He wasn't saying, oh, I'm just going to go buy some cheap wood. He just used it in a way where those knots became really nice graphic elements yeah, on the piece. Focal points. Yeah. So I'd, I'd say, you know, I love pine and just the fact that it's cheap doesn't mean it's a bad wood. I'd say, yeah. So work with pine and you're going to learn how to get your tools super sharp and um, learn how to clear off your bench so you don't get dense on stuff. Um but I would say, yeah, I think I think both options are fine. If you want to just go get some cheap wood, you see it as cheap wood, easy source of cheap wood to go knock some stuff out without worrying. That's great. Also, I, I think you can really embrace the pineness of pine and let that kind of dictate and inform the work you're doing and how you go about working and the things you make out of it. So I think it can work either way. I love pine, knotty pine backboards on my oak cases. I just think those two things complement each other really well. I would be worried about um, – <clears throat> so I remember when I was in Nashville, my father came down and we decided we were going to make four Adirondack chairs. 
while he was down for the week. Because my, my dad's made more Adirondack chairs than anyone I know. And um, we went to the hardware store and he used to, he goes, oh, I just, I just go get pine from, from Home Depot or whatever. And we, we went to our, our local lumber yard and in, in Nashville, they don't like, they use spruce for their premium, for, for their select right. pine. And um, I remember getting it and immediately my dad going, oh, this is different. <laughs> you know? Very different. And, and it was like, it was splitting and it wasn't holding screws as well. And it just, everything about it was just totally different. So I think a lot of it really depends on where you are regionally. That's true. What's yeah. going to be available. Yeah. Um, yeah like that if, is an embarrassment of riches in Connecticut at Home Depot getting this clear white, eastern white pine, just perfect, perfect boards. Whereas other, sometimes you're stuck with southern yellow pine if you go a little bit south of here. Yeah. I don't know, man, because I, I miss southern yellow pine. Really? I used to stock up on uh, 2x12s. Anytime you'd go to the box store, you would just walk down that aisle and look at the end grain real quick of the of the bin. Yeah. And if I had the truck and I saw a nice board, I'd buy it and just throw it in the stash. And when we moved up here, I actually thought about filling the rest of the trailer with huh. as much Southern Yellow Pine as I could fit. Um, because it was super cheap, um, harder than Eastern White Pine, uh, it just and it's it's big and you can you know you can follow the grain if you want to you can get riffs on stock if you want to you can still do the things that you do um, when looking through hardwood but man southern yellow pine I miss it so much anytime I see somebody on Instagram uh, like uh, Dawson Moore posting all of the stuff he's making with southern yellow pine in Michigan I'm just oh come on I want it. Huh. Just cheap, good wood. Yeah. I'm, no? I've not embraced the Southern Yellow Pine <laughs> aesthetic yet. For shop furniture and stuff? Mm. Or honestly, um, I made a like a kitchen work table, which is now Katie's like workbench mm -hmm. in, in her weaving room. And it was – I actually pulled out when we were – discussing design i pulled out the, your shaker workbench that you and matt made and that was the basis of it and everything was southern yellow pine painted black yeah okay uh, yeah yeah it's good it's yeah. good stuff for for that i love yeah. it yeah yeah throw the black paint in there i could see that oh yeah yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying necessarily visually it's it's not as subtle and pleasing as eastern white pine but working characteristics i love it hmm. cool uh, all right, question number two. Uh, this is a really hard one. From Matt, a question for the panel. What is the one tool that you covet but will likely never own, either due to price or practical considerations? When you're looking at me. Yeah. <laughs> Honored guest. Honored guest. I'm going to say it's the HNT Gordon pattern makers oh vice. good one oh yeah it's gorgeous i want to have one yeah it's completely impractical for anything i do <laughs> <laughs> and it's wicked expensive that's only 1700 bucks yeah oh you can't put that on your you have to sort of keep that on a wish list just not on a 
now list. It can't be on a never list. Uh, yeah, I suppose that's right. I suppose if you know I won the lottery or something, sure, <laughs> it would look really good on a bench that has no has no vices at all. This is an interesting concept. You have the wish list. I I cannot and the now list and the never list. I don't want a never list. I want a never. Other than I don't think I would ever want that. But to say. I'm never going to get something that I really like. That's, so you're not going to answer this question. That's just sad. You're going to Pekovich this question. Um, there's – well, okay. So for me, and it's very much along those lines as well. It would be like a Sauer and Steiner smoothing plane. Um, Conrad uh, just makes fantastic planes. They're so beautiful. He posts – the making of them on Instagram and just to see a plane made and to see his – the skill and the finesse and the knowledge that goes into those. I just like the idea of something made by someone and obviously it's going to work really well too and it's a beautiful work of art. However, I think that's one – Dave, I'm kind of with you. I can't see – See, that's on my wish list. Like, <laughs> 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 they're beautiful. <laughs> they are. They're gorgeous. So like I said, never say never. However, yeah. that that's one something I would really want that is just not even close, you know, while I've got college tuitions going on yeah. and um, yeah. while I have a happy marriage going on. I yeah. don't think spending, <laughs> what, four grand on a hand plane is going to do it for me. Although my favorite tool of all time, I'll tell you about, is almost in that category. But, so. or, or, okay. It's coming up. Uh, yeah, I'm not going to say it. All right. Yeah. <clears throat> okay. I really thought that you were going to say like, Four extra feet on my shop. I was going to say a big shop. Big shop. Big shop. Oh, big shop. Yeah. I can't picture you in a big shop. Relatively speaking. You don't like Chris Bexford's shop. Oh, yeah. So mine is like interior dimension 18 by 18, which, hey, I'm not complaining. It's a, I love that shop when it's clean. I've got room to work. But, you know, 30 by 40, that'd be nice. Yeah. Maybe a little upstairs, downstairs kind of thing. You have a decent size shop. You can't complain. Yeah, no. Yeah. Yeah. I've got 2,000 square feet. Oh, God. But of of which maybe 800 of it is really used. Oh, with upstairs, you have With the upstairs, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, What is upstairs? It's um, storage, jigs, lumber, junk, blankets. That's the thing for me. The the more I teach, the more I have sort of a gaggle of stuff for that class. And that's been going up into my attic. Um, I have the full downstairs. David's got room. And that's yeah. So, <laughs> um, so it's more storage for that kind of stuff because that's not everyday stuff. I definitely don't want that in my shop shop. And the other thing is lumber storage. I just don't have room in a conditioned space to, on a whim, go buy a couple hundred board feet of white oak because I saw some really good stuff. Yeah. So, I think that would fundamentally change the work I'm doing. Having that more space for more. I would probably say, yeah, lumber storage would be. Yeah, a big thing. it's it's nice. It's uh, the well, the building's an 1870s barn. Oh, right? cool! So it's it's an old post and beam. You know, the upstairs. I would love to have the shop upstairs because it's so open and it's it's. Um, but the beams are under six foot. Oh, and there's three of them that run across. Okay, so I've got to watch where I walk. But otherwise, it's wide open and plenty of storage and stuff. And then in downstairs, the um, the ceiling's under eight foot. Okay. So I can't even stand the, uh, you know, an eight-foot board up okay. on end. But, you know, it makes it insulated. It makes it really cozy and, <laughs> yeah. and warm and, and stuff like that. So it has its so good, you would, good points and you bad points. So you would add two feet up. Easy. Yeah. 
yeah. three, three or four feet up would be really nice. Yeah. Would be really nice. Yeah, but the barn's uh, 20 by 50. So oh, I literally have 2,000 nice. square feet. That's great. You know, but it's um, a lot of it is, you know, unusable. And of course, it's 1870, so there's zero insulation except what mm-hmm. what you can put in. You've got sprayed pretty well now, though. Yeah. 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 It's taken a few years. My So mine has changed over the course of a day because the more that I thought about this question, I thought I thought it was going to be a drum sander. And I just can't avoid not having a drum sander too much longer. Yeah. Um, it was one of those things like back when we had the, the shop, there was the drum sander. And it was in a closet and you pulled it out like once every – year maybe. yeah and if it ever disappeared no one would even notice that it was gone <laughs> then but it's um doing what i'm doing now it's it's become clear that if i continue on this path i need a drum sander right um i just have a really hard time justifying that much money for one where it's like you know i paid I got a pretty good deal on my table saw, but I paid $500 for my table saw. It's a great table saw, right, Pekovic? Yeah, I threw in some decent blades, too, so really... <laughs> there was one. There was a forest dovetail blade, so you paid... Yeah, I know, but mm-hmm. that was followed by the frustration of trying to get it back from Matt Kenny for like a year. Yeah, so <laughs> you paid 350 bucks for a saw. <laughs> <laughs> but, so you can get a Unisaw for five to $700. Especially now. Yeah, yeah the, the post... Saw stop world means those unisaws you could never find. Bing, bang, bang. Yeah, take it everywhere. Yeah. You can't get a drum sander for no. that much money. And when I think of what tool bang for your buck, table saw for a five hundred dollar table saw like that yeah. any day of the week. So I judge everything's usefulness based on on that. So I, I have a hard time spending a thousand dollars on the drum sander, hmm. but I'm gonna need to eventually. Yeah. So how big of a drum sander are you looking? It's for? a little guy, right? Yeah, it's, 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 it's a, a 1632. Guy. 1632. Yeah. They're not cheap. They're really not cheap. Yeah. Um, I think my real answer would be, uh, I just forgot the name of them. Uh, multi router. Ah, uh, yes. A multi-router or a panto router or what, you know, one of those doohickeys. Yeah. And then my other answer is a full shop outfitted with Inca machinery. Inca. Old stuff. Throwback. Yeah. Old Swedish stuff or whatever. Little tiny stuff, yeah. Yeah. That's good stuff. Yeah. We were looking at the old Garrett Wade catalogs lusting after all those funky little machines. Yeah. Yeah. But the the multi-router. Okay. That's super useful tool. Never going to have one. All right. Now, it's time for our all-time favorite tool of all time for this week. Something we actually do have. Who wants to go first? Dave. Michael's all set with, ready to uh, jump the gun yeah, earlier. I, I think you got to go. All right. This is... A tremendously awesome thing. Um, it was sort of, okay, it was an impulse purchase. Um, Barry and I were working on an article by an author who was doing a shop-made um, chopstick. You didn't. Jake. You did? Yeah, I did. <laughs> so I was looking at um, the one the author did. is super cool. 
and shop made. And yeah, you can make it in an afternoon for a some spare change or scrap lumber. However, during this meeting, I said, well, let me look up the Bridge City Chopstick Master just to kind of see the functionality of that and sort of how the two are working. Um, John Economaki, who who founded Bridge City Toolworks, is just a brilliant, brilliant engineer, um, really creative mind who makes these beautiful tools, super expensive. A lot of those are probably on my never going to buy a $765 block plane list. But um, he designed and had built a chopstick maker. And no, I do not need a chopstick maker. I'm worried for you, man. And yes, (laughs) if I was serious about making chopsticks, I would have made my own. Here's the thing is that, you know, it's like NASA investing a billion dollars into solving like a really simple problem like, oh, here's a better garbage disposal. You know, it's just the fact that that he would devote his time and effort and genius to like come up with this tool to make chopsticks. And it comes with a little Bridge City block plane. That's how I got <laughs> that's how I justified that. Because <laughs> I'm watching the video, watching the video, and he's a great salesman and everything. And I'm telling Barry, does it come with a plane? Does it come with a plane? It comes with the plane. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so this thing is I just got it. I just made a pair of chopsticks last night with my new thing. It is beautiful. I mean the quality of the engineering it's all anodized aluminum, super, super clean, well-built, works as advertised. And here's the thing. Here's the thing I was really concerned with is that this was supposed to be like an all-in-one kit for just a person to go and open it up and make chopsticks. So first of all, I'm thinking, you know, I, I kind of have the back of these people who are buying this. I'm going to be really mad if, like, my brother-in-law buys this and can't make chopsticks with it. Like, what if... All of a sudden, oh, he gets this, but you have to sharpen the plane iron. That's a non-starter for actually half the woodworkers. That's kind of a non-starter, but for any non-woodworker, you know, that's this thing was dead sharp. It was like even had that sort of the honed, polished secondary bevel honed on there and everything. Super sharp. It worked really well out of the box. And it's like, okay, well, then it says, this is the blade is sharp enough. You're going to get maybe 10 sets of chopsticks out of here. And after that, you're going to have to resharpen and go, oh, bang. Okay, that's the deal breaker. No, they give you a honing guide with the rollers and everything and tell you how to set it up. And say, well, I need sharpening stones now. Nope. On the bottom of this jig, you flip it over and there's this really fine adhesive back sandpaper um, that lets you sharpen, re-hone your blade. It's like... Okay, this is good. And they send you little blanks to start with. And of course, you get like enough blanks for 10 sets of chopsticks, you know, for like 29 bucks. But again, if you're a non woodworker and you want to make some chopsticks, okay, we need to order some more chopstick blanks. All right, what wood do we want? So, and here's all right, there's no justifying this. So I'm not justifying this, but (laughs) I'm listening. But he said, and this was like really cool. So, you know, you could just use it at your, at your kitchen table if you want. So if you're having a party, a dinner party, and everyone can come over and make their own chopsticks to eat with. I'm doing that. So. So this is my concern. You know how, like when you're, when you're young, high school or in college or something, and your, your buddy starts dating someone new? And then they just vanish. 
this is all Mike's going to do now. He's just going to make chopsticks. We're not going to see any more woodworking for like six months. I'm not making chopsticks. I, I, I'm become well-versed in sort of the return on investment if you ever want to like sell or make money on anything. Oh, no, I don't think you're going to sell them. I just think you're going to be holed up in your living room making chopsticks. Um, it's a nice indoor activity. <laughs> Wintertime. Yeah. Christmas presents for a decade. Yes. And my daughter does ceramics, so I'm thinking, you know, because she already, you know, get her to do like the little chopstick holder out of ceramics. And mm-hmm. then we're... You can make a little sushi board. She can do a sushi board either out of wood or ceramic. Yeah, we're... This is just another piece of a bigger puzzle. <laughs> <laughs> it's stupid cool. I've seen those before. How much are they? I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> wow. Uh, maybe $285. That's not bad. Did you get in the block plane? For a block plane. Yeah. I would pay 285 for Bridge City Tools block, block plane. plane. Yeah. And then you get a free chopstick maker with it, which is super, super cool. Yeah. Yeah. That was a pretty ringing endorsement. And a honing guide. Yeah. <laughs> well, the honing, can you use the honing guide with other blades? Um. I think so. I think so. Huh. Yeah. All right. Do you want to go next? Uh, how do I get that? <laughs> 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 you know, I was going to say maybe my favorite tool for the week is my spoke shave. You know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's not coming down quite the same. <laughs> what kind of spoke shave? Uh, I, I probably have a dozen of them, but probably the one that I go to all the time is Brian Boggs, made by Owen oh, Wilson. See, I was really thinking we were going to say the same thing here, huh. and now yeah. we're going to debate. Now we're going to debate. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I use two. I use two, you know, all the time, and one's the Brian's and one's uh, the Caleb James. Okay, so that'd be a low angle wooden body, low angle shave. wooden body right. shave, and yeah. I got a couple of those, but uh, Caleb's is just a piece of art, and uh, you can take thick thin cuts, you know. Just it's set up with the angles and stuff, but Brian's is just it's just a workhorse. Yeah, it's just the one, it's the one I go to. You yeah. only use the curved bottom one, right? You have straights, but yeah, yeah, or flat bottom. yeah, yeah. Ninety five percent of the time, I'm using the curved bottoms for everything. You know, you can make the adjustment. Mm-hmm. Cool. You know, so it's um, they're easy to sharpen. You know, if I got a lot of work to do, I'll actually line up a few blades and get them sharpened, so I never have to get up from the shave horse. Wow. So, I mean, for you, the work you do with the chairs you make, I imagine spoke shave, that's like one of your everyday go-to tools. It's an everyday tool. Yeah. It's an everyday go-to tool. Yeah, absolutely. So. Yeah, easy to adjust, easy to sharpen, you know, fine, thick cuts, you know, finished finished surfaces. And the way I would have never – I'm – my first experience with that bo- with that particular spoke shave too was in your class, and I'm glad that that's where it was because I would have never found it as easy to use without seeing you adjust it the way that you do because you just tap it on the head of your shave horse either way yeah. to retract the blade or advance the blade. And anytime you know you i've seen people you know just try and push the blade a little bit more and for you it's just such a fluid thing between cut 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 tap cut 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 deeper and i was really and i 
I took that on too, where that's how I adjust mine. Yeah. Do you I don't, loosen the thumb screw to do it, or you just no? Yeah. Wow, just tap it. No, okay. just kind of treat it like a like an old wooden body plane. You you tap the blade for for advancement, and yeah. tap on the handle, and the the blade will retract just a little bit, and you can get super super fine shavings I mean, with it. There's cool. definitely some juju to it. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. like like you have to hold your head at a certain angle, and and yeah. but yeah. Watching someone who's really experienced with that particular tool is something to behold. I have to go with the opposite, the Caleb James. And Ooh. I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> I, was, I was shaping a neck, and I, I, was, I did it inside because that's my shave horse is in the living room. And uh, so I assembled a little tool roll, and it was uh, a gouge. My Caleb James spoke shave, my Bog spoke shave, um, some files and a rasp. And I went inside and I set him up on a table next to the shaving horse and I didn't touch anything other than the Caleb James. And it's just one of those tools that for me is just such a joy to use every time I use it. And it might be my all-time favorite tool of all time, period. Um, it just... I feel like I'm at one with that tool. It could, and if I think it, it does it. Um, and I feel like for me, and this just goes to show different tastes or whatever, I constantly grab that box and set it on the bench right next to it, and I that's all it does. No. <laughs> Yeah, so, so if I'm doing Windsor chair seats and the pine and the end grain, I'm going. I'm going with the Caleb James every time. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and uh, you know the pine seats and the winter chairs. But for just, spindles, you go box. I've been using the box. Yeah. 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 It just takes all kinds. Yeah. And if I was going to take anyone's advice at this table, it would be David's. I goes <laughs> with me. So there you go. Yeah, uh, but I, I when I was picking my my all time favorite tool, I knew I was like I. I I wonder if David's going to say this too. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. All right. Well, let's take a quick break. As a Shop Talk Live listener, you know that if a project is worth doing, it's worth doing right. Pony Jorgensen takes the same pride in crafting their clamps as you do in crafting your furniture. Pony Jorgensen clamps are made using only the highest quality materials, and they inspect each one to guarantee consistency and performance. Head on over to PonyJorgensen.com to explore their wide range of pipe clamps, bar clamps, hand clamps, and one of my all-time favorite tools of all time, wooden hand screws. Pony Jorgensen, makers of clamps without compromise since 1903. All right. Question number three is from Mike. I probably don't need yet another woodworker's bench, but the first one I made 30 years ago isn't quite up to par, and I would like to replace it with a very stable bench, possibly a split-top Roubaix. Years ago, I had, I had acquired, very inexpensively, a GM Yost pattern maker's vise, and it has been installed on this makeshift bench for many years. <clears throat> My question is, in your opinion... Should I build the split-top Rubo with a leg vise, Deadman, wagon vise, and move the Yoast to a 2-inch thick but 30-inch high solid ash assembly table? 
that I already have, or should I incorporate the Yoast in the new bench instead of the leg vise? And here's the rub. I have to admit that the Yoast vise is very substantial for a run-of-the-mill front vise, but I really haven't needed to rotate it, tilt it, or swivel the jaws very much, if ever. I primarily do rectilinear work, but I can see myself getting into projects involving more hand shaping, which is the case, in which case the features of the Yoast might be beneficial. Assuming that the two-inch thick ash assembly table can support the weight of the Yoast vise, I would have just as much room to use it there as I would on the new bench. So, we have a what do I do with my wealth of riches? Wealth of riches, that didn't make any sense. I, don't know, I really don't have anything to say to this question. I hate you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, <clears throat> well, okay. So 30 years for a bench. You've been working a lot. You know what you need in a bench. And you have a pattern maker's vice, which that's always sort of been the holy grail. You mentioned the new one, yeah. but I know it was always kind of like the old pattern maker's vice. Oh, if you could ever get one of those, you know, it was one of those kind of the white whales of woodworking and I never got around to one. But then when I did see them in people's shops, they just use them as a front vice and I don't know. So I don't think I missed out on not ever having one, but if you have one and you only use it as a front vice, do you like it? Why don't you just stick that on your new bench and you're, you want to switch to a, a leg vice why do you want to switch to a leg vise? Do you, you know, if you've used a leg vise and you really like it, okay, but what kind of woodworking are you doing? Um, <clears throat> I mean, uh, like a split top Rubo with a leg vise and the wagon wheel vise, wagon vise, those are like, that's a really sexy thing. Mm-hmm. Um And that's fine. I just bought a chopstick maker. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the guy to say not to do that, nor would I say, you know, if you really want that, you know, it's what you want. Um, I'm just afraid if, if, you know, the notion of leg vice seems really cool, you've never used one, and you're just going to commit to a brand new bench with a big outlay of, you know, materials and effort to get it going, um, I would at least try to find one to use um if you've only used a pattern maker's vice i don't know see if you do you know anybody who's got some other benches other vices you know what kind of work are they doing how do they use their bench what do they like about their benches what don't they like um i'm just uh i would just advise against anyone sort of jumping right into something that they think is the perfect anything without any user experience to justify that that's a really good decision for them. Well, so you do a lot of shaped work. That's yeah, what, I mean, that's all you do really. Yeah. And it, it, I was looking at this question and it was, so I was like, I'm like the wrong person to ask. I don't have any vices on my bench. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, no, that's, no, also having just, just, you know, the, 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 the Gordon, you know, pattern makers vice. I do have their standard vice. Okay. But it's on a kind of a – I call it like an outrigger where it sits underneath the bench when I need it. Yeah. I pull it out. It gets clamped to the thing. I use it. It's absolutely fabulous for, for doing all that. And then I stick it away and I have I have a split top, you know, split top bench and anything I need, I just clamp to it. Yeah. So it's so, – So, I mean, how often – 
how often do you think that anything other than a regular vice would 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 help you? Because you're you're holding work all sorts of different ways, but if your vice just clamped to your bench top, does it most of the time? Would a pattern maker's vice, even though you had just said that you you covet one, as as do I, but would would that pattern maker's vice make you a better woodworker? No, probably not. <clears throat> I have a, yeah, I have a bunch of accessories that I clamp on. So I have a, I have a carving platform that clamps on that yeah. brings the carving way above the bench, you know, so I'm not, so I'm not hunched over and, um, you know, I clamp anything else to the, to the bench that I need, but. And you have, you have shaving horses. And I have shaving for horses. Everything else. Yeah. You know, but I'm able to either use a shaving horse. When I first learned winter chairs, I didn't have a shaving horse, you know, and I used a, I used a bench vice. Mm-hmm. You know, front bench vice, and I was actually used a tail vice because that's what I had on the on the thing that I had. But otherwise, I didn't use I didn't use anything else. Yeah. So, but the a split top robo with a leg vice and the and the leg would be very sexy and look very good in my shop. So, yes, <laughs> I, I agree. Um, yeah, I, I took a Windsor chair making class with my dad at Mike Dunbar's shop years ago and he doesn't have any shave horses he just has workbenches and cast iron vices and the one thing that really kind of stays in my mind is this like boing sound every time someone was like spoke shaving a spindle where one end was clamped in a vice and they get off the end of the spindle too far <laughs> like a whole you know just yeah, a, whole, a whole chorus of that so um, yeah, it's hard to, um, I think one of those, those things is, I don't think it, it's right to say, um, if I'm giving advice, well, I don't have that tool and I don't miss it. So I don't think it's necessary. I think that's completely wrong to say, because I think we adapt our methods around the tools that we have and I get everything done. And then you introduce a tool you may not own. And then all of a sudden you begin to adapt your processes to owning that tool. And all of a sudden that's a tool. Yeah, you should have that. So, um, yeah, so I try to be really careful on any advice for workbenches. My go-to advice is your first bench should be something that isn't a stumbling block to getting into the shop and doing more work, you know, but if you've been woodworking 30 years and you're ready to step yeah. up, whatever that is, like you said, it's going to look pretty nice in your shop. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, the, the, you know, the key thing is, is you, do you have a stable base and a flat top? That's it. Right. Yeah. Those are the, the, to me, those are the two requirements. Yeah. To have it. Is, is, is it stable? Is it not going to move? So every time you, you plane the whole, the whole bench goes back and forth or something? Or is, and does it have a flat top so you can, yeah. So you have something to register your stuff off of. The, to me, those are the two, the two main requirements. Yeah. Yeah. When when I think of and Jeff and I were talking about this earlier, when I think of people who we've been in their shops and they have pattern makers' vices, um, I know Tim Coleman has one, like a Fortune has one, and I I mean I think we did a whole video on all of the vices in Michael Fortune's shop. Yeah, I know we it's talked, in the can you? somewhere. Yeah, but um, these are all people who the cool kids. Yeah, they are the cool kids, yes. Um, but they're definitely when when I see I primarily do rectilinear work. Yeah. You know, these they're not primarily doing rectilinear work. Right. 
Um, I think the people who really need pattern makers are well, maybe pattern makers back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and people doing lots of odd shaped things. Yeah. So, and if you've had it for 30 years and you're just kind of going, eh, but, but what, and, and, and you, you see the picture of the, of the, of the, the, or you watch the videos of the bench craft advice spinning from 12 inches and slamming into a piece and picking up uh, the whole bench with the piece. Cause it's so, and that goes, wow. Yeah. If that gets the juices flown, do it. Yeah. So take your patterns, making makers vice and stick it on. Stick it on the yeah. Yes. Yeah. Stick it on the ash assembly table or yeah. sell it to me for very little money. Don't sell it to Ben. Get it. Yeah. If I, I had this, a pattern maker's vice, I'd use it all the time. Yeah. <laughs> sure. <laughs> this, this question did make me go on uh, Craigslist. And there's, there's a pattern maker's vice 50 miles away. Unfortunately, it's 50 miles in the wrong direction in Long Island, and I don't feel like doing it. Yeah. So save me that one. All right. Question number four is from Ryan. I don't use chisels often, but I'm working my way towards more handworking. I've heard over and over again how you need to feel what it's like to cut with a sharp chisel to know if you're sharpening correctly. I have a number of my father's and grandpa's old Stanley and other brands chisels ranging from a quarter of an inch to one inch that haven't been sharpened that haven't been sharpened in years. Should I buy one very nice chisel in order for me to understand what sharp really is? If so, what size? After listening to you guys, it seems I will still have to sharpen the chisel once I get it, but will I, but it will need much less sharpening than a 20-year-old chisel that I have. So, should we do two, what size? Well, I think you go back, if you have a, a bunch of chisels that haven't been sharpened in years, um, it sounds like you're not set up for sharpening yet, and I think that's a bigger part of the equation is that a nice new chisel, it's in better condition. Namely, the back is flat, so you're going to be able to get this thing sharper yeah. easier. So, I, I mean, I think that's not – I actually think that's a really good idea. It doesn't have to be a super expensive chisel. It just needs to be a new chisel. Um, but you need to look into a way of how are you going to get that sharp once you get it because I think the important thing is not just introducing chisels into your work, but it – it's introducing a sharpening routine, which is going to allow you to get all of your hand tools that sharp. Um, I think that's that's the real question here. So, let's say, you know, I think in this, he said that in, in the unedited question, he said that he had a 1,000, 4,000 grit stone. Okay. So, um, <clears throat> if you got an 8,000 grit stone. You're set. You're probably set, right? Okay. Get a honing guide. Honing guide? Yeah. Figure what? out a way to flatten your stones. Just 220 wet dry sandpaper on something flat, like glass, glass or plate. Yep. Cheap way to do it. Okay. Now we're sharpening. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's, would you, he, he specifically asked about like a, a, the Veritas PMV 11. Yeah. So let's take that, that, why were they like 70 bucks maybe for a chisel on up? Yeah, I think yeah. so. So would you do that or would you rather see him get maybe a set of the Stanley six fifties for the same $70? The sweetheart chisels. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know if I would go with the sweetheart chisels or like the Lee Valley, you know, the yellow plastic handle chisels. Oh yeah, I always forget about those. Um Narex makes a good chisel. There's a lot of lower price point sets, you know. I think the old blue handle marple set that we all kind of cut our teeth with back in the day. I don't know if those are still available or if they're the same quality. That was one of those ones where it was like 45 bucks, I think, for four chisels or something. Yeah, I've got a set of them that still yeah, use up them. And running. I actually had a pair of Freud um, wooden handle chisels in this. That was my first set. And I actually, teaching now, I actually see a lot of students using those same chisels. Yeah. Um, there's nothing special about them other than learn how to get them sharp. So, yeah, I guess if if all you have is a box full of beaters, maybe it might be a better investment to get a small set, you know, quarter, half, three-quarter, one inch. I like to throw a three-eighth inch chisel in there too at some point and get them sharp and get to work. What's your most used chisel? A one inch. One inch. Yep. That was, I have that a one inch be... and a one and a half inch are my... Are my two most used, probably followed by a half inch. What are you using the big chisels for? Really um, paring down, you know, the the spindles that come through. It's yeah. easier to pare them down with a little bit bigger chisel. Okay. Making yeah. wedges, um, get a little bit more beef behind it yeah. um, to do it. Those are probably the two the two biggest things that I use them for. And what, what kind of chisels are you? Um, well, I basically, the Marples, Marples, the Blue yeah. Marples, yeah, yeah. I bought them back in the 80s, you know, and they're still, yeah. you know, I, I think once you get them uh, the back flat yes. and, yeah. you, and you get a, and you get it ground right, you know, the, the they hold an edge really well, yeah. you know, and, and they'll, they'll take a beating, you know, yeah. um, but my, so I've got a, one, a half inch, uh, Lai Nielsen, I've got a, a one inch, um, Blue spruce, mm-hmm. which I absolutely love. They're, they're butt chisels. It's yeah. just beautiful in the hand. And I've got an inch and a half crown point, which is a British make that uh, that I use. You would just mention something that made me think about once they're ground. Right. And it's like, if you don't have a grinder, cleaning up those old chisels, that's a task. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, yeah. So that's one reason why I was glad to just get a set of the Stanley six fifties, uh, the, the, the sweethearts. Yeah. Just because, yeah, I think, I think I have five and two of them were pretty annoying to flatten the back on. Mm. But again, I do that once and you could do that with a piece of glass and, or a tile or whatever and right. some sandpaper. But I'm glad I didn't have to regrind the bevels back when I didn't have a grinder. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah, and learning how to do that so that you're not burning the tips and blocking them and yes. stuff. It's just it just takes practice. Or spend seven hundred dollars on a Tormac slow speed grinder. You yeah. Know? <laughs> <laughs> Which I'm not. Is that on the wish saying, list or the never list? No, that's on the already <laughs> have. Already. <laughs> <laughs> but that's tough to throw out there. You know, as in, hey, should I buy a chisel? Yeah, and a Tormac. And you a Tormac. Know. Yeah. yeah. Let's yeah. not yeah. go there. <clears throat> I just bought a um, a vintage chisel from the flea market. And I try to stay away from anything, like you said, that 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 needs a lot of work. But this thing was super wide, maybe an inch and a half and pretty short, but really good steel. And I thought, oh, this is like perfect for Kumiko. And you can never have enough Kumiko chisels because I take a bunch to the classes I teach and everything. And I got out, I think, like the 220 grit sandpaper, um, like glued down to a piece of glass and gave some swipes on the back. It was almost flat, but there was one corner that obviously that's not 
coming out. And that was like, okay, pull my grinder out from underneath. And, oh, shoot, the tool rest is gone. Where's my tool rest? Nope. Grinder went back. Chisel went in a drawer. And it's like, okay, you know, another day. I That reminds me, I feel a little bit bad because recently I, I gave my brother my old set of chisels. And I figure, okay, I'm not going to give him dull chisels, so I'm going to sharpen them. And, and there was one where it was just like sharpening, sharpening, sharpening. There was just a little tip that just just a little corner was just yeah. not coming up and i just marked it with like sharpie and i just said to him like eventually you will sharpen past this yes. but i'm not gonna do it yes here's your free chisels yeah <laughs> but i yeah uh, I mean, I'll, I'll feel bad about that for a little while yeah some old chisels literally the best option is to either you know grind it a long way into the blade or find someone who can actually cut off the quarter inch tip of that blade and just start grinding your bevel back off of there i've got an old flea market like inch and a half yeah it's almost a slick or whatever yeah. i mean it's a it's a big big chisel that i spent a long time cleaning up and and it just it does not want to hold an edge and you had said no you probably just need to grind back a quarter of an inch and it just said fine i just put it in a drawer and yeah. that's where it's gonna stay yeah then also on the really long chisels, if you you know if you sharpen back beyond a point, maybe it's not tempered to the same level that that tip was. And I have some older chisels which are shorter. Obviously, they were longer, and, and sometimes they don't hold an edge at all. And I just wonder if it's just that I got past the good temper back into the softer back steel. Soft stuff. Yeah. yeah. You ever see you? Uh, Garrett Hack has that Baco chisel. Yeah. That's like it's like an inch, yeah. inch and a half left of that blade, and then. We were at John Coffey's, and he showed me an Ashley Isles. And I, he goes, what do you think that is? I was like, is that an Ashley? Because I could hardly recognize it because it was so stubby. I'd yeah. never seen. And just some, some people hang on to these chisels forever and ever and ever. But maybe maybe part of it is they're just past the good no, metal, too. I don't know. I mean, I mean, for Japanese chisels, I don't, I'm sure you've seen them sharp. to where they're like a half, like a half an inch long yeah. blade, <laughs> where obviously it was longer. So I think it, it depends. But I remember someone, you know, one of their, you know, the woodworkers, they saw they were really influenced by had a certain set of chisels and they went out and bought the same set and they got their set and they're like really long compared to the chisels. <laughs> So that is this the right set? So yeah, no, that's the right set. <laughs> that's you, what it was. You had a ways it. to go. Yeah. <sighs> practice, practice. Okay, but you never answered the size. Oh, size? Yeah, set of four. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and but at one point you had said, "Show me your court, your half inch chisel, and I can read your soul," or something like that. Um. Because the half inch was supposed to be the one. That was just, yeah. I wouldn't say, I don't know. When I was trying out, if I'm trying out like a brand new chisel brand or something, yeah, I buy the half inch chisel. Okay. Yeah. There you go. Um, but to only buy one chisel, what would that be? I don't know. Half inch is pretty good. I don't think I have a favorite. I just maybe three quarter, one inch. I might be there too. Oh, but all right. <clears throat> well, let's see. Listener comments. This one was an email, and it's from Richard. Um, 
Unlimited just gained a new member. You can attribute it to Shop Talk Live, a great magazine and hard work from the entire team. What pushed me over the edge was the excellent interview of Christian Bexford by Anissa. If becoming an unlimited member supports the excellent work of fine woodwork of the fine woodworking team, I'm in. And it does. That's the whole thing. Because that's how we make this podcast, right? And we like our jobs. (laughs) (laughs) No website, no magazine, no podcast. No chopstick makers. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, uh, does anybody have any random recommendations? No? Mass Woodworks on Instagram. Bob. Bob Miller. He has a pattern maker's vice. Oh, there's... There's your connection right there. Uh, check him out. He's he's uh, a guy up in Boston. He he's blogging for us now, but up in Boston, and he runs a community shop up there, and they have all sorts of crazy like Tanowitz machinery that's you know like thirty eight inch bandsaws or whatever, and just crazy stuff. And it's just a really good feed. So, cool. Dave, what's your out. Instagram handle? Yeah, is uh, D Do Yard Chairmaker. There you go. That's mine. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, that's all for this episode of Shop Talk Live. If you have questions you'd like us to answer on the show, send them into shoptalkatalk.com. If you're watching on YouTube, click that thumbs up button. And we'll be back in two weeks with another episode. Thanks for listening. We had talked about ditching question number three, but I don't necessarily have one to replace it. Which one was that? The vice question. Was that the one with the Rubo bench with the leg vice sort of thing? Yeah, yeah. pattern makers. Oh, yeah, that's just like wide open rant. I can talk about anything. <laughs> <laughs> Strap in, folks.